Welcome to Beautiful Imperfection. We are so happy you're here. In this podcast, we will discuss from week to week our identity in Christ. The beauty in our imperfection is Him. Let's get started. Thank you for joining us back this week. We're picking back up with uh, Shannon Timmy's story. And Shannon, you were telling us about the things that were happening in your life and you didn't see them as consequences of what was happening, but as rules or regulations of something Mm -hmm. that maybe shouldn't apply to you. Because so could you tell us a little bit about how you came to the realization that some of the things that were happening to you were consequence consequences of the actions? Sure. So, you know, my, my arrest record is piling up, you know, my, that was my dad's like biggest concern always was like, how are you going to get a job with all of this? You know, and I, I ended up bartending. So my degree is in elementary education. Um, I graduated in 09, also got that DUI in 09. Mm-hmm. And so that was like out for me. Like I was so embarrassed to go mm-hmm. to these schools that I had been interning, sh- interning at and say like, Hey, I need it. You know, I, I know I was going to work here after I graduated. And, um, and so the consequences really started to catch up with me, um, criminally. And even though every time it was dismissed or I got out of it or I paid a fine or, you know, whatever. And, um, it, it really started to catch up with me. It started to catch up with me that, you know, I couldn't get car insurance, mm-hmm. you know, the consequences like were there, they were just, um, they were just never bad enough because I felt like I always just moved forward from it and I was bartending. And so it didn't, when you're in the restaurant business, they don't really care what kind of background you have. I mean, they just don't. And, um, I could make a lot of money bartending and I could do what I wanted to do because I could drink on the job. Yeah. a way to get around that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So what, what really finally, um, started to happen was earlier in 2013, I was fired from bartending (laughs) because I was too drunk to Uh count my drawer at the end of the night. And, um, and it had been a, a problem that was coming up. Up. And so I was fired from my job. Uh, therefore I really couldn't afford anywhere to live. I think for a time I was, my parents had gotten divorced around this time after about 25 years, I was about 25 years old when they got a divorce and that was heavy on the family. The triplets were 18. They waited till they graduated college or I'm sorry, high school. And then they, they got the divorce and, um, you know, moved their separate ways. And so I, I moved in with my mom for a time and that didn't work because I was an alcoholic and I was taking my little sisters out drinking. Um, you know, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't good. And so then I, I was basically almost forced to move in with my dad because I just had no other options. And, um, surprisingly or ironically, I don't know. Um, I, I don't believe in coincidence. I believe in God's timing and it was God's timing because my dad was, um, diagnosed with cancer mm-hmm. that same year, 2013, uh, when all of this kind of started to catch up to me. And, um, I got a second DUI, like a real, there were many times I was pulled over and there were mm-hmm. no consequences. I was able to go home one mm-hmm. way or another. Um, but I got this second DUI and it was a big deal because my dad was diagnosed with cancer. And like, that was our family's concern, not my drinking, mm-hmm. um, and the stress of that. And so I agreed to go to AA. My dad finally said like, you know, when my mom said it for me, AA was something that took my mom away from me mm-hmm. when she was in the program, you know, as, as a, a young adult, um, knowing that she was in NA and AA, she would go to these meetings every night. So for me, I had a bad, I thought it was like a cult. 
Like oh, this right. took, my mom had a gut. She, all her friends were from there. Mm-hmm. They took her on, you know, they went on these little AA retreats and, you know, and I did not like, I did not like that. But when my dad finally urged me to go, he's like, Hey, you know, this worked for your mom. Like maybe just go, even if you don't have a problem with alcohol, like just may, maybe it'll, you can learn how to drink better. Mm. And so <laughs> you can learn how to make it work for you. Yeah. Yes. be okay. Yeah. So I went to AA in an attempt to control my drinking. <sighs> and what they told me was you, you have to abstain from drinking. And I thought, okay, I'm in trouble with the law big time now. Like this second DUI is bad. My license is suspended for 18 months. This is not, I don't have a job. I'm living with my dad. I'm 25 years old. This is not good. And, um, so I started going to AA. I went for about 70 days. It'll almost make me cry because you get chips, right? Get the Mm -hmm. white chip. When you surrender, get the 30 days, 60 days. Well, I got my dad would line him up on the TV and you know, it's like to think of all the worldly success, you know, with, with graduating college and all that kind of thing. I think my dad was just so proud of me that I was sober. And, um, so yeah, so times were stressful, um, with my dad's cancer and stuff. But like I said, God's timing was right because I was there and him and my mom did not have a good relationship at that time. So I became his full-time caregiver. Um, he had esophageal cancer, So, um, it was, you know, a feeding tube and all of that sort of thing, radiation, chemo, all of that. And, um, so I stayed sober for about 70 days there. And then I, I decided that I was better. Mm. My life wasn't as a mess anymore. And so I could just drink normally now. And so then, you know, it went back to the binge drinking and, um, you know, my dad was in and out of the hospital. Uh, you know, some of the nights I was, you know, out running the streets and my brother would come and stay at the hospital with him because they didn't know where I was for a day or two. You know, when you go on a binge, that's what happened. The binges got longer and closer together Mm -hmm. instead of once a month for two days, it was every weekend for four days. And then, you know, I was headed towards daily drinking. And so, um, my dad ended up, um, eight weeks before he died, I got my third DUI I was out on, on probation or not on probation, but I don't know, out on, out on bail or bond or whatever Mm -hmm. from that second DUI earlier in the year. I, um, I, he, he, uh, even came there to the scene to try to get the cop to let me go home with him. And I mean, Mm -hmm. I just think about how sick he was that day. It was so Mm -hmm. bad. And, um, and I went to jail and and he bailed me out my enabler, you know, (laughs) I never spent more than a night in jail all these times. And, uh, and eight weeks later he passed away. And, um, that was, that was the beginning of my rock bottom there. Um, Mm -hmm. it was like, I had had a purpose for those eight months, even though I was in and out of being sober and trying to control it. Uh, at least I had had a purpose and we did have some conversations about God. And I told my dad very, very pointedly, like, you are my purpose. Like you are my reason for, for being sober, like in the 70 days that I was going to AA and I was sober. And, um, and so I just thank my dad so much because I think he gave me the gift of faith Mm -hmm. and I didn't even know it. Even though it came from the perspective we talked about, about Catholic, I can pointedly remember my dad saying, Jesus died on the cross for us, Mm -hmm. for our sins. Mm -hmm. So whether my dad called it being saved or not, or was fearful of that terminology, I know that he knew that Jesus died on the cross for him. And I know that he spoke that into me. And I'm just so grateful for that because it made coming to faith on my own so much easier. And, um, so we buried him and that was hard. And, you know, few hours after he died, I was drinking and, and, mm-hmm. and he had, um, Xanax and Lortabs. He was actually in a drunk driving accident when he was 18 and he was on pain pills and, and, um, 
and anti-anxiety stuff like his whole, his whole life. And because of the, uh, opioid epidemic, he was very fearful of not being able to get the Laura tabs, even though he mm-hmm. wasn't addicted. He maybe only took mm-hmm. one or two a day, um, for this chronic pain that was nerve damage. He was very afraid. And so he would keep shoe boxes of these pills. I mean, I know this sounds like an addict thing to do, <laughs> no, right? No, but he, he was, he was just fearful. And so he would keep shoe boxes of pills. So when he passed away, no one thought to throw those away and I thought to keep them. So then pills became a part of my story. Mm -hmm. So then it was alcohol and pills. And so, um, I basically six months after he died, I spent that six months, you know, he left a little bit of money, so I didn't need to go back to work and, you know, I had a place to live. And so I just kept right on drinking and, and using his pills and it got really bad. And, um, I, um, I, tried to, well, two things here. I was drinking and driving again. I hit two people in the Mm -hmm. same night. Um, that was, uh, probably about a month after I had tried to commit suicide on December 23rd, which was six months to the day after my dad had passed away, I tried to drink and take enough pills to overdose. And my sister found me the next day and she took me to the hospital, not so much in an emergency situation. I don't want to dramatize it, but I was very sick. Mm-hmm. And my, my intention was suicide. It just didn't quite get there, you know? Um, and so, um, after that, surprisingly enough, I went on a few more months, another month of drinking. And that is when, um, I was in this accident and I hit these two people, two separate, I I hit one person and I continued on driving while police were on the way to that scene. I hit another person, totaled my car and I ran from the scene of the accident. And I called my attorney, um, the next morning. And she said, you have two options. You can turn yourself into the police or you can go to detox. Mm. And I said, I will go to detox because I do not want to go to jail. Mm. And I went to detox and this was the turning point in my story. Um, you know, I didn't go cause I wanted to get sober. Really. I went because I didn't want to go to jail. And, um, I was in there for five days and I found the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous on the shelf. I always joke because my options were like Harry Potter or the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> and I'm like, not a fantasy reader, you know, um, you know, real life crime shows or whatever I'll do. But, um, fantasy now. So I picked this book up and I started reading it and the words jumped off of the page, like a romance novel to somebody who loves romance novels. I mean, it gripped me because it was my story right there in black and white. I mean, it wasn't the details of my story, but it was me. It was who I was everything, you know, that it talked about. I tried this to quit. I tried this. I was like, I tried that. I did that. That, you know, and I started to see in the pages of this book that my life was unmanageable. And I decided that after these five days in detox, I would go to inpatient. And I did. Mm -hmm. And I went to inpatient treatment for two months. Um, and, uh, for me, that was a a physical removal from the alcohol. That's what it was for me. Um, it wasn't spiritual. They were Mm -hmm. not telling me about Jesus. They actually passed out a copy of, um, that book. Maybe one of you can help me the secret or something. Oh Oh, yeah. yeah. I know what you're talking about, but now I can't think it. Yeah. Yeah. They gave us, I mean, that is, I do. Yeah. (laughs) Not, um, not, not Jesus. And, um, so I, I, I stayed there and when I got out, I moved in with with some girls from rehab actually moved into with me and I relapsed uh, about six months into sobriety and I had been going to AA, but then again, I quit going to AA. Mm -hmm. You you can't quit going. You got to go. And so, um, you know, this whole time that I'm getting sober, I'm not thinking about God. Not really. I'm thinking that I'm not good enough for God. That's about all I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. And I just need to get my life straightened out. Like, I don't, I don't need God. What's he going to do for me? I need some money. I'm financially spent. I mean, I'm thinking I need a lot of things, but God is not one of them. And so 
um, I relapsed and I relapsed for 10 days and it took me to this spiritual, emotional rock bottom. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter about the consequences of the financial material criminal. It didn't matter about any, even losing relationships. You know, my mom had told me like, I'm not going to love you to death. I'll love you, but Mm -hmm. there's a boundary. I'm not gonna love you to death. So you're on your own if you're going to keep living this way. And, um, and it, it was this, this emotional and spiritual, spiritual rock bottom for me. And so I, in the course of this, um, this few months that I was out of rehab, there were two men that were coming in. I was bartending still (laughs) at Sunny's and the barbecue restaurant we all love. And (laughs) there were these two men coming in. One was a pastor Mm -hmm. and, um, one was 29 years sober. And I didn't know this, but they always drank Coke and diet Coke or tea or whatever, but they would sit at the bar so they could watch golf. And I asked them, why do you guys sit at the bar, but you don't drink? And they said, we said, well, I've never drank. I'm a pastor of Baptist church. And the other one said, um, I'm 29 years sober. And that intrigued me because I, I wanted 29 years of sobriety. I didn't want to keep living this way. And so they would come in multiple times a week. And they would talk to me about God and Jesus. And they would talk to me about staying sober and going to meetings and all of this. It was like, they were hitting me from both sides, the sobriety and (laughs) Jesus. And, um, and so one day they asked me, what are you waiting for to turn your life over to Christ? And I said, well, to be good enough. And I, you know, from maybe my Catholic upbringing, I thought that if you ask Jesus into your heart, to save you and ask forgiveness of your sins and accepted him as Lord of your life, that you wouldn't, you could not sin anymore. And if you did, you were then definitely to hell. Like, like your one chance was to to get your sins forgiven for real. But if you screwed that up. And so I was like, I'm not ready. I don't, I'm not even sure I can stay sober. Like if, and if I can't stay sober, I definitely can't stop sinning. So, and they explained the concept of grace to me. Right. And they explained that grace covers you, that God wants people like you, that Jesus is calling you. So at the bar, they were. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) From the other side of the bar. I love that. Yeah. I love that. That's great. Mm -hmm. That's mm. Some things from, from God's word that stuck with me, that they told me you are wonderfully made, um, that you are, when you turn your life over, you'll be a new creature in, in Christ. Um, why does snow that for me, it just covered mm. me because I felt so much shame. I felt so dirty. Y'all, the things I did for that next drink are ugly, ugly, ugly. And it's not that I don't share my whole story, but there are parts of my story that I reserve when I sit down one-on-one with another woman mm-hmm. who needs to come out of the pits of alcoholism and addiction. And I will share those parts with her because yeah. I've been there. And a lot of times she's been there too. It's just not something that I you know, no. Yeah. And that's great. I mean, we, we appreciate And I think that. God reserves those parts of I our think, stories for those intimate moments with I those people that I he puts he in our lives. Too. And I think that's wise. I mean, that yeah. that's wisdom that yeah. he's given you. And I was told that I was, I was a success every day that I didn't drink. That's what made me successful. Yeah. And, um, that God was working all things for my good. My whole, my whole past, everything. Those were just some things from God's word that really, really stuck with me. And, um, I was told that there's one who has all power and it is God. And if you find him, he will save you mm-hmm. and he will keep you sober. And I just, I just clung to these things because I didn't have anything else to cling to. Um, you know, Jesus doesn't fix things. He heals people. Mm-hmm. And I didn't need things in my life fixed. Like I thought I did. I needed Jesus to heal me. And, um, you know, first Peter says your special possession and that he's called you out of darkness and into the, into his light. 
And so, um, when I had relapsed for those 10 days, these guys had already been coming in and I had both their phone numbers and, and whatever, if I needed them. And that's kind of an AA thing. You share mm-hmm. phone numbers. Usually it's woman to woman. It just so happened that God put two guys at the bar, <laughs> but, um, I don't know why, but that 10th night of drinking on that relapse, I can remember sipping my, like sipping and savoring that last beer because I just thought, Oh God, this is my last beer. Mm-hmm. And I texted him, um, Pastor Daniel Green uh, is is the pastor and Jim is um, the guy that was sober. And I texted Jim and I said, I've been drinking again for 10 days and you guys have been coming in and I've been lying to you that I've been staying sober and I haven't been going to AA and I need help. And I don't know why God had me text him because I had phone numbers from women in AA because I had been, you know, that year prior in AA yeah. for a little bit. I don't know why I reached out to him and he said, I'm going to help you. And so I was on a bicycle at the time and I started biking. Uh, about 10 miles, 14 miles to an AA meeting every day, biking home. And I would bike seven miles to Sunny's, seven miles home. And I would work and I would go to AA. And Jim started taking me to AA meetings, putting my bike in the back of his truck. And I just, I was told to get in the middle of the AA bed and stick with the winners. And that's what I did. And the difference this time around than the first time around is that I didn't think that, you know, just like in, in drinking, I didn't think that the rules applied to me. I didn't think that the rules of AA applied to me. I didn't think I needed to actually work the 12 steps. Right, yeah. I just thought you I could just get there in a day, right? <laughs> yeah. I thought I could just go unpack all of my garbage onto the, you know, 60 minute AA meeting when it was my turn to share and then pick it all up with me and leave at the end. And that was not the case. I was told five things. I was told go to meetings. Well, I was told don't drink, (laughs) go to meetings, get a sponsor, work the steps, pray, get a, and get a big book and read your big book every day. And, um, thank God that God put Jim in my life because there are a lot of people in AA that find a power greater than themselves. That is not the God of the Bible. And I'm so glad that they're sober, but I'm so sad for their eternal soul. Mm. And, um, so I'm so blessed because I can see now in hindsight, how I could have been led astray to a God of my own making versus the God of the Bible. And, you know, again, I go back to crediting my, my upbringing to knowing who God was in, in some form or fashion. And, um, so anyway, so, so I started staying sober and walking the walk and, and talking the talk and, Um, I think that, you know, as you're listening to this podcast, I I just thank you so much. Everyone that, that is, is hearing this story. I want to say that the problem does not matter. The solution is the same. Jesus is the answer, no matter what the Mm. problem, what Mm -hmm. the addiction, what the struggle, um, you know, whether it's mental health or, or anything, Jesus is the answer. And I think that I started working these steps and step one was to admit that I was powerless over alcohol in my life and become unmanageable. And that was very clear, right? We just went through that. (laughs) That was very clear. Uh, step two came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. Well, I came to believe I saw all the other people in the room that were sober and were claiming that God by God's grace, they were sober. And I thought, okay, this power can do it for me too. And step three is the crux you got to work all 12. Don't get me wrong. But step three is the step for me. And it's turning your will over to God and asking him to be Lord of your life. And Jim and I, Jim became my quasi sponsor. (laughs) His plan was to take me further through the first three steps and then turn me over to a woman in AA. And I clung to him because he, I don't know why. I don't know why. I mean, you just, it's an emotional time and I've got this person that is helping me and, um, my life is getting better. And so we sat on top of the hospital building where my dad had done so many treatments 
And we prayed what in AA we call the third step prayer. And it's just turning your life and your will over to the care of God. And when I went home that night, I got down on my face because I was worried that I hadn't done enough, that I wasn't saved, that, you know, am I, am I really, you know, your child now, God. And, and I remember I got on my face and I just, I, I just asked God, God, just remove this desire to drink and, and, and let me live for you. And, and thank you for dying on the cross for me and, and taking away my sin so that I can have this life of freedom and just help me to live it. You know? And I just, I can just remember watching preachers on TV late at night because I couldn't sleep because I didn't have alcohol, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, um, and that was the start of me discovering this God of restoration. And so it's just one day at a time. Uh, I had to think one day versus forever. You can't, mm. you, can we stop mm-hmm. right here? It's great. And you don't want to miss next week because we're going to continue the story. Thank you, Shannon. So we'll uh, listen next week. Thank you for joining us today. I hope you have gleaned something of value that will help you in your day-to-day lives and draw you closer to living fully in who God designed you to be. Until next time, you are beautiful in His sight. If you've been thinking and listening to us and wondering, how can this become a reality in my life? How does how can my identity be in Christ? And you've never received him. I'd like to give you the opportunity to do that right now by praying a sinner's prayer. It's a very simple prayer, and it goes like this. Lord, thank you so much for loving me. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for my sins. I open up my heart. I ask you to come in. Please forgive me for everything that I've done and help me to walk with you as I follow you in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, we would love to connect with you and help you as you start your life in Christ. Please visit thebestnews.org.